uh, sooner or later they'll be joining us. And we're so excited to have you. This is going to be something of an introductory session. We just want you to kind of get a feel for what is in our heart to do and uh, how we, we hope to do that. We're on a good learning curve. Good to have Dr. Jim Tacky with us tonight. Jim, how are you? Blessings. Jan, Michael G., Ulyss. Uh, yeah, fantastic. More and more are going to be coming in. I'm going to go ahead and, and just uh, get started on some introductory thoughts this this session may not be uh, super long. I want to share some key concepts with you that I think are a clear objective for what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, it may sound a little presumptuous to name something Global Sonship, Global Sonship Forum. Notice it's not Sonship Global. We're not, we're not presuming that we have the sole uh, calling to take Sonship Global. It is Global Sonship, our heart. And our passion is see, to see the world covered with a revelation of the knowledge that we are sons and daughters of God. And we believe clearly that creation groans until the sons and daughters of God stand up and take their place. And the Holy Spirit has been working from the beginning, crying, Abba, Father, for the church to rise up and do that. So we want to welcome you to the first edition of the Global Sonship Forum and our heart is to connect anyone and everyone that we can around the world that has a heart for sonship, a heart for receiving the Father's love, uh, maybe a piece of the revelation of sonship that we don't have. And uh, our objective and goal is to connect the body of Christ so that we can facilitate and possibly even accelerate uh, the revelation of sonship to the church. And around the world. So I want to give you four simple objectives that we can start with. And, and I know many of your pastors and leaders, and I would ask you to have maybe a pen and paper close by so that you might say, well, you're missing this ideal, you're missing that one. That's really what the forum is about. Uh, we want to gather ideas and gather input. And if uh, Cheeky and I can facilitate that in some way, then it's a joy for us. Did I let you say hi to everybody? No, I've, I've no, been uh, I've been no, trying girl. to respond to She's messages responding. of people asking for the passcode. So She's doing the admin. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so fun to see you. Love seeing your lovely faces on the little screens here. And we're really, really happy that you're joining us for this. Uh, your voices matter. Your voices are important. So we're, we're hoping to uh, learn from you as much as hopefully we can impart something to you. So. We, we all have a bit. None of us have the whole loaf of bread. We all have a slice of the loaf of bread, and the Lord speaks to all of us differently, uh, shows us different uh, pictures of the story. And, and I'm convinced that as the body of Christ communicates, shares that koinonia word, giving what God's put in me to you, and then receiving what God puts in you back to me, that we're sharpened, we're strengthened, we're broadened in our understanding, our eyes are lifted beyond ourselves or beyond our four or just our congregation to see the world and the Holy Spirit's job to raise up the whole body of Christ uh, in a revelation of who we really are. So here's four simple uh, objectives that come to my heart and my mind that we want to try to uh, step into in this Global Sonship Forum. By the way, some of you are saying, what on earth is this? How often is it? We're looking at once a month. Once a month, 
7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, something like that. There may come a point in time where we need more forum activity and we, we have another time, another evening, where we can just come, break up into rooms and just open up in Q&A and have conversations. And I would certainly encourage you, as questions come to you or statements come that you would like to, to make, jot those down. We can certainly share them on the chat uh, format, and Ethan is going to... To help us, I wish Ethan could stick his head here in the camera. But he can. Come Ethan, around, Ethan. Come, come around here. Hi. Ethan uh, Patterson <laughs> is producing this for us, and, and doesn't it look great? Hey, Ethan, Ethan, say hi. And he, Ethan's going to be collecting your statements, your questions, your comments, and, and either feeding those to us or we'll be gathering those for ammo for uh, future sessions. So feel free to jot thoughts and pass them on to us, and then we can pass them on to the whole team if, if we don't get a chance to bring every comment out in each session, and we probably won't have time to do that, but we'll do what we can to answer what we can or to raise a question that we can all give an answer to. Number one, I would say our objective is to facilitate a global movement of sonship around the world, which is clearly already in progress. It is already a priority of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been working this in the church, reformation after reformation. It starts with understanding justification by faith, doesn't it? Then it comes to understand uh, the Trinity, and then it comes to an understanding that God is good and that he is a good, good father. And all of a sudden, we realize he's not satisfied and never intended for us just to be good Christians or good church attenders or people that avoided sin in some way. He always intended for us to be sons and daughters in his love. And this thought came to me, actually, when we were writing the book Foundations of Sonship, and that whole revelation was downloaded one weekend when we were with Andreas. Andreas is on. And um, the idea that before, before God knew us as sinners, he knew us as sons, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. And so this has been working for a long time. It's a priority of the Holy Spirit to build in us. And as I was writing that book, the thought came to me, a movement of sonship. You'll find it on the back of the jacket of that book, Foundations of Sonship, a movement of sonship. I believe that's already in progress. I believe there are many, many ministries like ours that are teaching a revelation of sonship, teaching the Father's love, and, and stirring it. And if you just listen to worship songs today, more and more and more this revelation is leaking into our worship. No longer a slave no longer an orphan, now I'm a son. I've never heard as many songs about orphan versus son as I've been hearing in the worship in, in this day. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So the first objective is to facilitate what he's already doing. The second objective of this global sonship form is to connect, to connect leaders and believers who have a growing desire to walk in sonship and to walk in learning to receive the Father's love. We can all say, I've got it. I know how to do that. I'm, I'm still there. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still needing to learn more how to receive the Father's love. I'm telling you, every day is a, is a journey. Isn't that what, the, what John says, that now are we the sons of God, though it doesn't quite yet appear what we shall be. So all of us are in learning mode. It's in a process. And that's why we need input yeah. from others who are walking in sonship as well so that we can all sharpen one another and really learn to walk into the reality that's already ours. I'd love to say you could read the Abba journey and you'd have it. it. <laughs> uh, no, 
we wrote the Abba journey, but we still don't totally have it. We're still learning and growing in what the Holy Spirit is releasing. If it's taken 2,000 years to get the church to this point, how many of you know there's a lot more for us to receive? So we hope that this forum will connect leaders around the world. I know that Caleb uh, Brown's on here. He, he travels all around the world. Many of you minister in many nations. And so this pollinization of the revelation of sonship is going around the world. And as it does, we hope to connect more and more leaders from more and more nations to come and sharpen their sword at this anvil uh, to connect in this revelation of sonship. Thirdly, our objective would be to sharpen one another to a clearer articulation of the revelation. How many of you know you can have a revelation in your spirit, but it hasn't transferred to a logical way to communicate? We say, man, I got something here. I wish I could just explain it to you. And this helps us. The more we dialogue about what we hear the Lord saying, the more we listen to one another. Oh, oh, I, I know that, but I've just never heard it said that way before. The better we can articulate what, uh, what the Lord is saying to the church. We need more people writing books about sonship, more people writing books and writing songs and curriculum about receiving the Father's love. That comes as we sharpen our sword together in this uh, articulation. And fourthly, I would say our objective is to invite, to invite others into a new way of being. What I love about, we didn't quite get to it in the, in the video yesterday. For those that weren't with us, we we showed the a portion of the video called uh, Sheep Among Wolves, and it's about the Iranian church. And what I love about what's going on in the Iranian church, the fastest growing church in the world, is, is they, they have this mindset that you begin to disciple at the first conversation you have with a person. Our mindset mindset in the West is you get people saved, you get them coming to church. Now, once they're coming to church, we can start discipling them. So we'll have discipleship classes and whatnot. Uh, so that's believers discipling believers. But the church in Iran says the very first conversation we have with a Muslim friend or neighbor, we see that as the beginning point of discipleship. That has been a huge bomb going off in my heart. I believe that we're going to begin to to articulate even through prophetic words of encouragement to people that don't know the Lord. Uh, what happens when when they receive a prophetic word? Well, all of a sudden they realize God's real uh, and they're on his radar. And if they can sense the love of God in that articulation, then, then guess what? Sonship has already begun to work in their heart. So I, I'm giving you four adjectives there to facilitate, to connect, to sharpen, and to invite. Uh, you may can think of some other uh, good ways to say that, and we're welcome to hear from you in that. Ethan's already writing questions and statements, and we appreciate you sending that in. So we start with a question, and this is a question, and we're going to turn it into a statement and then try to give you uh, just the first piece. And the first question is, why a revelation of sonship is the prevailing critical issue for the church and the world today. I've put it in a statement form, but we could say it this way. Why is a revelation of sonship the prevailing critical issue for the church 
and for the world today? Well, we've already addressed it in some ways. And we know there are many critical issues in the church. We know making disciples is a critical issue. But making disciples to what? Uh, that would be another question. How to get people in to hear the gospel. How, many, how, to, how to preach the gospel. All of those are critical issues uh, in the church. But in my heart... I have a deep conviction that until the church comes to a revelation of who we are in him, and that revelation brings such a freedom from self-consciousness, such a freedom from self-preservation, such a freedom from self-promotion, that I can then give myself away freely. Now we're in a place where the church can and will really impact the world. Can I add something to that? Please. I think I think one of the things, one of the topics that we're hearing a lot around the church is the idea of identity, 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 and we and we think that identity and sonship are one and the same, but there is a little bit of a difference in that sometimes when we're focusing on identity, we're focusing on who I am, self-centered. It sort of comes from a self-centered orientation as to I want to be my best, whereas sonship is who I am in relationship to He who is in relationship to God. And, and so it, it shifts the focus from an inward focus to more of an out-centered focus. So it might be a subtle difference, but there is a radical, it, it's, a, it's a subtle difference in terminology, but it can be a radical difference in the way that we live it out, mm-hmm. right? So it's not a self-centered, uh, self-promotion, self-help, self-aggrandizement um, kind of thing, but really a sonship that said that sets us up to then be other-centered. Yeah, the the truth is, if we are orphans in our mindsets, any topic we preach, even good topics out of the Scripture, we're going to turn it into a self-promoting kind of a thing. So this is where we even have to come to the Scriptures. We have to read the Scriptures through the lens of sons and daughters who, who are not trying to get something they don't have, but are literally learning to walk out what we already do have. So I want to encourage you. You don't have to ask permission. You just you have a microphone. <laughs> I just want to jump talking. <laughs> No, but I think it, it strikes me because this is exactly what I took away from the documentary that yeah. we watched yesterday, uh-huh. and it's how much there our church in the world in the West we're so used to being consumerist, and we talk yeah. about that a lot, but we don't even realize to what degree it is. Yeah. But watching the persecuted church, and and it's not it's not limited to Iran, but the persecuted church in the world that that really has this concept that. The gospel is not good because of what it does for me. Mm-hmm. The gospel is good because it frees me from myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a different orientation. The because gospel is great is. because it, it empowers me to surrender. Mm-hmm. It empowers me to give my life away. Yeah. And I think sonship is really one way that when we really embrace who we are as sons of God, that should be the natural result. Yeah. A desire to surrender, a desire to give my life away. Yeah. The gospel is good news. It's good news because our God is good. And it is the news that our God is good. And as John dropped this bombshell on the world with his gospel, we can know this God personally. This is, this is what John's gospel brings to us. I would love to, for you to add to my list here. I'm going to give you four simple points here to try to address this question, why? And this is what the, God, the, uh, the, the Global Sonship Forum is about. And that's really what I'm trying to address today. What's the Global Sonship Forum for? It's primarily to address this critical issue. And what I believe is the most critical issue 
in the church and the world is a revelation of sonship. So add to my list. You write down some more things. Next month, I'm going to talk about not why it's a critical issue to the church and the world, but why it's a critical issue to us, to me personally, as my way of being. So as these thoughts come to you, what are more ways that sonship is critical to the church's mission or to the world? So send them in to us through the chat feature. We may get to it tonight or use it to build conversation for next month. Tonight, we're just trying to introduce you to what this is going to look like and feel like. There will probably come a time where we have to use the room features on Zoom, and we talk about a few things, and we'll have some guest speakers with us here. We'll have a number of different leaders that have a revelation of sonship that'll sound a little bit different than me, and we'll have them share theirs. And then we'll we'll break up into rooms. We'll break up into smaller groups so we can actually uh, communicate our ideas with one another. Number one, this is why it's the most critical issue, I believe, is because we're called to represent and reflect the glory of a good father in the earth. And that's only done by sonship. You cannot reflect an accurate glory of the father if you believe that he's sometimes good, sometimes bad, if you believe that really he's the mighty warrior and all he needs is soldiers, or if you believe that he just wants good, uh, clean living church folks. It requires sons and daughters who know their sons of a good father and they know it because they've heard his voice wash them in the goodness of who they be john 17 uh, 21 and 22 says the only way the world will see god is through this loving father father the same way you have given me your glory i've given this to them to these that have believed on my words and so if we think god is an angry god that needs appeasement then guess what we're going to act out of that anger. You're going to live out whatever you think God is. And so we don't give an accurate representation of the glory of God if we don't see him for who he really is. So it's through sons who have received and live in the Father's love. Does that mean there's no correction? No, he corrects us because we are sons. He corrects us because he loves us too much to leave us where we are. It's not to mean everything is easy and patty cake, but we are saying his nature is fundamentally good. As John says, he is all light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So largely, this is not to sound critical, but uh, it is a critique that we've made Christianity about getting a ticket to heaven, and as long as I'm safe and comfortable and have my ticket to heaven, kind of uh, everybody else can fend for themselves instead of showing what the Father's like. In reality, God gives us his spirit not just to live in the Father's love, but to reflect the glory of the Father's love. Without a revelation of sonship, we cannot reflect his glory as he really is. We will give off distorted representations of what our father's like. So more and more of a revelation of sonship gives the world more and more of a clear picture of who this God really is. Secondly, and I'll just pause there to say, what do you think about that? I wish we could just around a big table and we could all just jump into it. You get some comments coming in, Ethan? Yeah, he's got some there. Any questions about number one that you want to throw in there? Oh, we got some here. Is this number one? Um, Michael, how do you communicate a revelation of sonship to others in the form of a seed 
rather than a fire hose? <laughs> That's a great question. And uh, that'd take a little while for us to, and I don't have the final answer on any of it, but I'll just say uh, you and I are the seed, and it's not what we say but what we do primarily. It's our living our lives, sowing our lives as seeds into people's lives. And, um, yeah, preachers and teachers use fire hoses, right? <laughs> but what we're really designed to do is live our life and lay our life down as seed, as Jesus said, unless a seed fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it falls into the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. And I would say, I would add to that, I remember when I, when I first gave my life to the Lord and I had come from religion, organized religion, and I thought my, my mission in life was to convert everybody away as quickly as possible and show them how they were absolutely wrong in that. And I don't know that, that there was a lot of success in that. And what I'm finding now is that the seed form is talking about the goodness of God, the goodness of the Father, that there's nothing that's keeping you from coming and receiving the love of the Father. Yeah. And I think that is, the, that is the essential piece that makes a big difference that ushers us into come to Him boldly and confidently and receive his love what we see in jesus was that he was a son that was that was completely free to receive the father's love and his being a son was contingent on his receiving the love of the father and that's mm -hmm. what we see even when he was tempted in the wilderness sure. so i think the seed form of sonship is the goodness of god and then and that's why in the abba journey we start with the abba foundation establishing that god is good that is the seed form and then from there we can expand to yeah. what that looks like then in terms of our response of who we are Living our life, who was it? Somebody can re remind me the, who, who said it, but uh, um, preach the gospel by every means necessary, and if necessary, use words. St. Francis or St. Augustine? St. <laughs> Francis, yeah, St. Augustine, I think it was. Anyway, that, that is to say, when you get a revelation of something, it may not mean that you've got the application or the transformation yet. You can get a revelation in your spirit, but until you learn to apply that, in a way of being until you learn to connect the dots. Oh, if, if this is true, then this is the way I live. This is the way I give my life away. When we begin to see transformation in our behaviors, laying our life down unselfishly, then we know that the revelation has become transformation. Uh, that's kind of a new idea for me. I always thought for a long time that revelation and transformation were one and the same. But there's an application in between those that has to kick in for our lives to be transformed. Keith. Uh, ask this question, and this is one we get all the time. We get pushed back every time if we teach this in Bible college or wherever this, this comes up. I've heard some say that if there's no condemnation and I can't do anything to make God love me any less, then I can do whatever I want because God will always love me and accept me. And how would you respond to that? Go for it. <laughs> so he says, there's no difference in how much God loves us, none whatsoever. But there is a huge difference in how much we receive his love. There's no difference in how much God wants to bless us, but there is a big difference in how much of his blessing we are capable of receiving. So that if, if my behavior is antagonistic to God, that hinders me from receiving his love. So the problem is not on the giving end, the problem's on the receiving end. So there is a very clear where God, I always go back to uh, this thing, this statement that God makes in Deuteronomy where he says, I set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life. So whatever we choose does make a difference. But God's love doesn't change in that. Right. But how our life goes, whether we're living in life or living in death, big difference. Whether we are walking in blessing or in cursing, big difference. Again, not because, not because God's attitude toward us changes, mm. but because of our posture is completely changed 
allowing us to receive or not to receive. This has been the argument uh, for centuries. That is that a true message of grace gives people license to sin. Uh, well, what does Paul say about that? Do we go on sinning because God's grace abounds? He says, God forbid, and he uses very, very strong language in the original to say, God forbid, don't you know that so many of us as we're baptized in Jesus, we're baptized into his death. We've died. We don't go on sinning that way. So here's what we need to, to say. It's one pulse, a uh, small part of a, of a huge issue. Condemnation is from the enemy. Condemnation comes from the devil. And you have to have a voice coming from the inside of you that meets that voice head on, as Jesus did in the wilderness. You have to have a voice coming from in, inside of you that says you are a son of God, loved by God when you've made mistakes and when you haven't made mistakes. He's there with you when you're in trouble and when you're doing great. He's there. His love never changes and his commitment never changes. His, his uh, forever commitment to you and to humanity is revealed in the incarnation of Jesus. But do we receive that love? And do we use God's forgiveness in a selfish way? Orphans will use grace for sin. No doubt about it. And I don't think I've ever said that before, but I think this is the case. Orphans that don't really know the Father's love, they're trying to live into a set of rules. Number one, will either demand everybody shapes up and everybody lives by those rules, or they will condemn others that don't live in it as well as they do. When I get a revelation in my sonship that he loves me totally and completely, even in my broken way, and that he will not let me stay in that way, he's given me the Holy Spirit to bring me to sanctification in my life, to where when I see sin, I stop it in his tracks. I know that's not my nature. That's not who I am. I'm not going to live beneath what God's called me to be. Then I have this holy awe that begins to get a hold of me on the inside. I would not dare do something that would offend the Father or reflect negatively on His glory. And people that allow sin don't have a revelation, a clear revelation of the Father's love. Because once you get a clear revelation of it, you'll never want uh, to be a shadow instead of a light uh, in that love. we got all kinds of good stuff here now. So speak to the balance, uh, Caleb says, speak to the balance of a couple of items, resting in the love of the Father uh, and taking action that may look like works. I always say this, and I, I have people ask me this a lot. It sounds like you're talking about doing nothing. It sounds like you're talking about just sitting back in a hammock and resting kumbaya. You know, we're loved by God. We got nothing to do. I just say, look at Jesus. Jesus was the perfect son who perfectly received the Father's love. Was he lazy? Do you see any day where he was laying around in a hammock with leaves on his eyes telling Peter and John to come serve him with some, some kombucha or something? No. Jesus was fervently working. And this is what he says. Because he knew the Father's love, he says, if the Father's working, I'm working. Everything I do, I do because the Father is doing it, speaking it or doing it in me. The more you receive the Father's love, you receive his heart. When you receive his heart, you begin to see people the way he sees people. You begin to want what he wants for people, and it becomes an internal motivation, a fire, a, a, 
you could say a drivenness, but not drivenness in the way we tend to think of it in humanity. But there's a fire burning in our spirit. And, he's, and he tells his disciples, I have meat that you know not of. They want to take a break. They want to go to McDonald's. They need a hamburger. And he says, man, I'm eating. I'm doing the will of my father. So there is a balance here. There are times when it looks like work, when God's given you something to do and an assignment. Doing that in a spirit of rest is the difference between an orphan kind of a mindset that says, I got to do it for my glory and I got to do it so I look good versus I'm going to do what the Father calls me to do because I know as I hear his voice, he empowers me with his spirit to do what he said. I just remember, I, I just um, was reflecting on Matthew, I think it's 19 and 20. And in one of them is where the rich young ruler comes and asks Jesus, what must we do um, to to receive eternal life. And what's interesting is, you know the story, how Jesus goes, takes him through the commandments and say, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor. And then Peter asks a really interesting question because Peter asks, so, well, Lord, we've done that, so what's our reward? And you totally see how Peter was still thinking as an orphan right there. Look, I've done all these things for you. What's going to be our reward? We're looking for reward. He's probably going like, as, he, as Jesus is talking to the, to the young man, Peter's going like, check, 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 check. Oh, we even qualify on the last one, on the really hard one. And then Jesus, in the very next chapter, which I think is Matthew 20, adds the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And the father basically paying extravagant wages that were not deserved. And what the Lord was showing me with that is that orphans are always, or servants, orphans slash servants, are always concerned with wages, with reward, with compensation. But sons aren't. Sons already own the vineyard. Sons are happy to work in the vineyard. Uh, the sons are not looking to how many hours each one of us has worked and to see what our reward is going to be. So unlike Peter, Jesus is showing them in the kingdom of God, it's a completely different thing. You are sons of the vineyard. This is part of your work. It's natural that you'll want to care for, that you'll want to do something. With. Yeah. We've not yet really come, I think, to see, I'm talking about me, we as me, <laughs> not really understanding the joy of the inheritance the joy of the inheritance. As we were celebrating five years here at Table of Friends yesterday, I was just rejoicing in that the inheritance that I see in what the Holy Spirit has done in so many people's lives. There's such a joy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured. Well, that looked like work. I mean, he was sweating great drops of blood, but the inheritance that he saw. Sons see the inheritance, that they are the inheritance of the Father, and he is is ours. So that comes with the revelation of sonship. I think when you begin to see people who know who they are, they're not rushed, they're not pushed. Generally speaking, hurry and impulse is a thing of the soul, the mind, will, and emotion. I got to do it or I'll miss it. I've got to go buy that or I'll miss the sale. I got to hurry up and do this or somebody won't notice. When you get a revelation of sonship, the, the birthing of the spirit is a peace because there's no time in the spirit. In the eternal realm, you're doing things out of a sense of his calling you and carrying you. And uh, that brings a rest. Even when there's fervent activity, when there's a lot to be done, there's still this sense of rest. This is God's doing, and I'm not going to be able to pull this off uh, without him. So I really look for that place where what I'm doing, though it may be difficult in the season, uh, there's a sense of dignity, a sense of rest in the anointing and the calling of God. When you're striving and it's burning the candle at both ends and you just feel like you're totally worn out, that's when I begin to wonder, am I doing something that I called myself to do or am I still on what he called me to do? 
I want to take you to the second, um, the second thought for why I believe sonship and the spirit of sonship is critical, the critical issue uh, for our world and for the church. Second is sonship is the operating system that all of creation thrives on. Sonship is the operating system that all of creation was designed to thrive on. Yes, it's a fallen world, but creation, uh, I got to go back because I almost left this out. People that feel like uh, you're taking it too easy, uh, you're saying, you know, you're not feeling enough condemnation, you're not willing to feel conviction, um, I think have not yet received a revelation that God knew you as a son before he knew you as a sinner. If we believe that God always knew us as a sinner, then God's work and work and work and work and trying to dig us out of the sin hole uh, when he's already really done that through Jesus Christ. So back to this second one. Sonship is the operating system that creation was designed to thrive on. We talk about this in the Abba Foundation as well. Creation itself is a byproduct, an overflow of the Father's infinite overflowing love. This love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can see in Proverbs chapter 8 how they rejoice together to, to see these things come into creation. Uh, and everything he's created is marked with this relational DNA, three in one, the molecule, electron, proton, neutron. We talk about this in our, our triads, the, the, the three basic colors of the color spectrum, the, the three basic notes of, of any chord, the three basic chords of any song. Everything that God has made, he's made in this relational way. All of creation was designed to sing in the song of sonship. That's why creation's groaning, not singing. Groaning, waiting for the sons of God to come. Everything's marked with a three-in-one DNA of relationship. Whether you talk about geometry, or the nature of man, spirit, soul, and body. All creation is groaning for the sons of God to rise up and take their place. So what's the Bible say is going to be the key for when all of this kind of falls into place and there comes a congruency and a peace and a rest upon creation? The sons of God rising up and taking their place. It's a critical issue. It doesn't say when we, when we get all the pews filled in the church. It doesn't say when we get uh, Christians in all of the seven mountains of influence. It doesn't say when we finally get a spirit-filled president. It doesn't say any of those things. It says when the sons of God rise up and take their place, creation will be able to rest in the order that God has created it to be. Mm -hmm. Any thought? No. no. So number three uh, is as human beings made in God's image, we, the church, were ordained and called to sonship before the foundation of the world. So this is linked to the first one. Before uh, God did anything, he saw us as sons and daughters. He knew us as sons and daughters, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. He chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's what the Holy Spirit's working on in a fallen creation. He's bringing us to a place of holiness without blame. 
Are we all there yet? No. In his sight? Yes. In ours? No. There's still an application of the Holy Spirit. I love the way the Mirror Bible says it. Jesus is God's mind made up about us. This is Ephesians 4, 1, chapter 4 and 5. Jesus is God's mind already made up about us. He always knew that he would present us again face to face before him in blameless innocence. Oh, I love that. See, God knew us. And you understand, he's a spirit. So it's not like he's got the mind, he's got the spirit, he's got a body. God is a spirit, John 4, 24. When he knows us before the foundation, Lord, doesn't mean that we were, you know, a pre-incarnate state. It doesn't mean that, that we have this, what is it, reincarnation. No, it simply means that by him knowing me, his thought makes it happen. The same way his word creates in this realm, his, he, he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, Psalm 139. He knew you. He had all your days already written before you were ever born. So the plan has always been to have a family. God's plan as a father and a son has always to have a family that lives and thrives in the overflowing love. Now, here's, here's what we want to say to bring some contrast. Many of us think God is primarily the mighty warrior. He's the mighty warrior. Well, if he is primarily the mighty warrior, the best you can ever be is a good soldier. But being a good soldier is not like being a son. And we say he, he is a mighty warrior. He is a mighty warrior. But that's warrior. not primarily who he is. He is all these things, but primarily, no. First and foremost, first and foremost, according to John, he is love. And we've not seen that. So we turn all these facets of his character into things we strive for to try to meet somehow his, his anger or disapproval. He, he's, he's not first and foremost the, the mighty God. He's first and foremost the loving God who is all-powerful. He's, uh, he's not first and foremost, uh, the, just the king of one nation. He is the ruler and the creator of all the nations. And so he's bringing all the nations. So that means that you, you could be a great nationalist. You can salute the flag and, and you can be very patriotic. In God we trust. Yeah, we can say all that. But first and foremost, he's not a nationalist. First and foremost, he has created a human family in the world and he will not quit until he's winning that family to himself. Uh, we're not just reclamation projects. Mm -hmm. So God's not just the fixer-upper. He's not just the maintenance guy coming around to fix everybody. He is God. And the reason he does fix us is because he is love. He's not even a revivalist first. We, we can get confused in what God's after. We say, well, God's after revival. Well, revival is simply when we begin to receive in fuller manifestation uh, who God is. Revival, as we understand it, is generally very short-lived. Very short-lived. Usually a revival lasts two to three years at best. What is God after? He's after raising up sons and daughters that know him and walk in his, his power and his love when there's revival going on and when there's no revival going on. If he drops you into a nation where there's nothing going on, you still live and walk in his love. Like our mentor used to say, like, how about we are thinking about that? We are the revival that we people are, are praying revival. for. That yeah. wherever we go, there's a revival. We are carriers of life. We're carriers of God's life. This yeah. is what sons do. We come and we represent the Father, and that brings revival. It may not look like big meetings with lots and lots of people. It might look like change hearts that turn from darkness right. to light. I'm not against revival. I'm all for it. But it's not the highest and the best. God's wanting to raise up sons and daughters that walk with him and like him no matter what's going on in the earth. And here's, here's number four, and this is the last one, and then uh, I'll slow down, and maybe some of you have some more 
thoughts. Number four, sonship is the only way to live with nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear, and nothing to lose. And if you think about those things, I know it sounds like a quip. It sounds like just a a neat little commercial saying. But every one of those things are a key revelation that I already have what I need to have. And I know what I need to know when I need to know it because I have the Holy Spirit living in me. So if you think about that, as long as we as the church are always grasping for something else to try to get where we need to be, then that thing becomes our God. That becomes our idol. When I get a revelation of knowing that I'm already sitting at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus, and I have nothing to prove, I have nothing to lose, I've already given my whole life. I'll never forget Caleb. We were sitting at that dinner table one night talking about going to some nations, and, and he said, are you ready to die? And he just said it with such a clear-eyed um, sincerity. And I'd never heard it like that before. Though I've processed that many times. He said, are you ready to die? And I'm sitting next to Cheeky. And he said, well, uh, let us pray about that tonight. I'll get back to you tomorrow. Uh, Because I've got a wife. I've got children. I've got a church. I have to think about what are my responsibilities. And, And we prayed about it sincerely in the night and came to this clear realization. We've got nothing to lose. We've got nothing to hold on to. I had a pastor that used to say it this way. I got nothing to go back home to get. <laughs> if God wants to take me now, it's good. If you know whether it's a rapture or whatever, I am ready to lay it all down. I've got nothing to hang on to that's more dear to me than walking in the fullness of His love. So we'll never be able to lay our lives down to reach our world if we are self-conscious, if we're trying to prove who we are, if we're trying to preserve who we are, if we're trying to protect who we are and what we have. So we've done this in the body of Christ, and and this is what orphans do. We take good truths of the Scripture, and we turn them into levers to turn uh, buttons to push to make something happen for us. We've turned faith into a quest for self-preservation. Oh, if I have enough faith, I can put up barriers and binders all around. The devil can can never get in. Well, it's not that the devil can or can't get in. That's really not the question. Are you willing to get out? Are you willing to get outside of the comfort zone uh, that may cost you uh, uh, some discomfort, may cost our lives? So Jesus modeled a freedom. He modeled a freedom to live and to give himself away with no conditions. Even sweating great drops of blood, Father, uh, if there's another way, I'm not just stuck on one way. He's not saying, I want out. If you got another out, I'd like the out. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not going to lock my, my soul or my heart in to a thing. It's not the crucifixion of the Romans. If it's any other way, whatever your will is, that's what I'm after. And this is what comes up in our hearts as a byproduct as a revelation of sonship. I'm not trying to get to this uh, apex or to this mountaintop or to this experience or to see visions or dreams or have angels walk in my room. If those things happen, praise God, there'll be a reason for it. But that's not a goal for me. My goal is to receive the love of the Father until you look like to me the way you look to him until you smell to me the way you smell to him, the way the, the passion of the Father wants to flow through me to you. Um, and that's, that takes a revelation. It takes a transformation. As far as I can see, you can't just go to enough Sunday school classes 
to, to come to that place. So some people are trying to take notes. Can we just like recap just the, the four points? Yeah. Uh, just real quick. I'll recap with, the four points no for you. no explanation, just the... <laughs> so number one, sonship is the only way we truly reveal who the Father is, His glory. And Jesus said, the same glory you've given me, I now give to them. In other words, they get to reflect you now because your spirit is in them. Secondly, it's the original operating system of all creation. All of creation was designed to function in the uh, OS of sonship, understanding that God was supposed to, was going to rule the creation through Adam, through the man he had created that was totally submitted to him, and Jesus was that perfect son that came totally submitted to him. And then thirdly is that all were ordained before the foundation of the world as sons. We're not trying to get someplace that we're not. We're just understanding that we are already there in the Father's love. And when you understand that you're there, you can quit striving. It doesn't mean that you become passive, inactive, laying up in a hammock. It means you don't do what you do out of a sense of striving and performance. And that's Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. That's Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. And then number four, it's the only way to live free enough to give ourselves away. The church will always be trying to hold on and build itself up and make itself something, spending more money on ourselves than we spend on the world. The church will always be in self-preservation mode until we get a revelation that we already have everything we need. And even with that, we're willing to lay our, our lives down. So what are some of the other ways that you see sonship is critical to the church uh, and to the world. There are other pastors online, maybe some other pastors uh, would want to speak. If you have something you really feel like you'd like for us to hear, maybe there's a pastor or two. The only reason I'm calling out for the pastors is because I know we've got some friends that have been walking in this for a while, and you might have something to share. If you want to unmute your microphone, uh, that's that's risky. I know Ethan's raising his eyebrows there like, oh, we're fixing to uh, open a maybe can raise, of worms. Maybe raise your hand. Yeah, raise your hand or wave or something, get uh, Ethan's attention. But I'd love to uh, hear from some of you. I know many of you have been writing comments. And you can write emails to us after this is over as well, and we can continue the dialogue uh, between monthly sessions. What do you think? Is sonship critical is it the critical issue for the church in our day? From Nathan Hawes. Nathan, can you open up your mic and talk to us? Yeah. And can you hear me? I can hear <clears throat> you. Um, I was thinking through all these four points about how critical it is to kind of end the, 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 without sounding too critical, like you said earlier, but the, the Western church culture of us versus them, the saved and the lost and the more, what I call kind of a soterian, like it's about salvation, repeating the prayer and, and it family, it changes the way for me, how I share the gospel. None of my, my trying to, you know, convince somebody they're so terrible that they need Jesus, but this is a, this is a brother or a sister who doesn't know who their father is and doesn't know what their inheritance is. Pre-saved son. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the, it's the love of God that yeah. compels yeah. to reach out and, and, and it's no longer, you know, I'm in and you're out, but no, you belong in. It's Come so, on. It's so good. Yeah. It would be so, like, uh, like sharing the gospel with the prodigal son while he's out feeding the pigs. Yes. Uh, he's still a son. Yeah. He just doesn't know it. <laughs> or he's still a son. Exactly. He just doesn't he's think there's exactly. a way to come 100%. back home. Yeah. 
Yeah, and yeah. Paul says this. And so, us and them, yeah. Thanks, Nathan. Paul says this so very clearly, 2 Corinthians 5. This is the ministry he's given to us, a ministry of reconciliation, to understand that God is not holding against men their sins, but he's canceled them, and he's hugging the world, one translation says. He's hugging the world to himself in Jesus Christ. Now, all the world doesn't want that hug. All the world's not receiving that hug, but God's not waiting for us to receive it to love us. He's not waiting on us to catch up with his love. He's loving us in advance through his son. And I think that's a, a great um, articulation, uh, Nathan, to say when we get a revelation of sonship, how we see the world changes, how we minister the good news to the world changes. We're no longer trying to get them dirty, rotten sinners to come shape up. We're helping them see that the Father already loves you as a son and daughter, even if you're still in the pig pen. He sees you as a son and daughter, and he's calling you to himself. You know, it's interesting to me. People say, well, sinners can't hear the voice of God. Well, if they can't, how do they ever get a conviction to, to receive the good news? How do they ever know that God wants them to come and that he'll forgive them unless, unless somehow, maybe it's through preaching, maybe it's through a song, maybe it's through a witness, but Every sinner has the capacity to hear the, vo the voice of the Father, and that's because they already have sonship uh, as a DNA in their spirit. Mm -hmm. Jeremy, 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 how are you in, in Roseburg, Oregon, bro? We're doing amazing. Yeah. I actually uh, want to back up a little bit to the very first kind of question statement that you made about why is it critical, and what Holly actually said was, it, it actually, sonship actually answers every critical issue that we're facing mm. in the church. As Holly and I have been pastoring and discipling for our entire adult life, the, this has brought in the ability to, to deal with relational um, friction, um, yeah. to call people up into a place of other-centeredness, out of self-protection, out of self-preservation, and it allows themselves from the confidence of knowing who they are as a son or daughter, it allows themselves to view their relationality with the body of Christ, their unity with their other brothers and sisters in a different light. This is this is translating to marriages. This translates to how parents interact with their, with their children. This <laughs> translates to how co-workers um, and uh, employees work. And so it literally is touching everything. And so it's not, I mean, yes, the sonship is critical, but what sonship is doing is actually answering the critical issues that the church has been facing now for centuries, See, especially you, in the West. What you've just done, Jeremy, is you have fulfilled one of our objectives. You've articulated something in a way that I couldn't, and it's a critical piece to the conversation. And, and I thank you for that. And I'm going to add that to my notes. It answers the questions. That's why it's critical. Uh, this is really good. I hope that this scratches somewhere where you're itching. I hope that you can see that if we can begin to gather more and more folks that are, that are receiving a revelation of sonship, that are hungry for a revelation of sonship. Maybe they're just, just got, you know, somebody told them about the Abba journey and, and they went and got the books and they're kind of looking at it and say, where does this fit? And uh, maybe this can be a help. If you have people in triads, you might encourage them to join us because this can underscore and maybe accelerate uh, what we're getting through our, our journey 
together in triads. Here's one thing that we would love, I think, in, in terms of this forum developing. Uh, we're going to be meeting monthly, at least initially. And if you have any, like the questions that you sent in today were great. And you saw how they shaped a lot of the conversation. If you have some questions or topics or things that you're seeing or things that are burning in your heart, if you if you use the, the email that came to you with the link and you hit reply to that, um, then we can compile and just let us know questions, topics, scriptures, you know, things that are in your heart that you'd like to discuss, then we can start shaping the conversation around the things that, that would speak to you. Yes, I know some of you have said that you didn't receive the, um, the link um, where you could register. Uh, so we'll send that out again because here's what registration does. When you click on that registration button and you give us your name and your email, that puts you on the list that receives uh, the link every month. And so we've sent out to a number of people, all the people of Table of Friends, people that have bought uh, Tab um, Abba Journey books, we've sent out and and we've had over 100 that responded and registered, and, and we're grateful for that. We're, we're not trying to build, you know, a big list. We're simply trying to connect people. And if you know of anybody that you think would be blessed or benefit this conversation on a monthly basis, we encourage you, uh, send that link on to others or send us their email, and we'll send them the link. And uh, we'll just keep adding folks to it. Um, Andres, I don't know if you're still on or not, uh, Andres in Bogota, if you're still on, I'd like for you to unmute your mic and just, uh, uh give us a greeting and tell us, uh, what, uh, this message has meant to you. Putting you on the spot if you're still Hi, there. Well, you know that it's something that we have been working on as a church, uh, here in Colombia, in Bogota. And we have learned that it's not in our strength, but it's with all of our strength. Hmm. It's, it's not only being uh, having the, the, the idea of I'm a son of God and that's it, that's it. But it's something that is uh, moving to our, our transformation. When you uh, learn how to listen to God's voice, then you're going to be moved by his voice, by his heart, yeah. And then you're going to experience that, that transformation. And in that path, then you're going to be, you know, like holding hands with all of the church and moving all of the church to that, that place. I think that the, the greatest gift of the Christianism is real freedom. So when you, when you realize that you can get that freedom only because you have the sonship spirit, mm -hmm. then you're going to be making a real impact as a church. Yes. The, the, we, we have the, to thank you. Place of influence. Yeah, so good, Andres. I love that. Uh, Andres, pastors in Bogota, Colombia, and there's something about Bogota. Every time I go there, it's like an open heaven for me. Every time I go there, the Lord downloads uh, something amazing in my life, and part of that's because of the prayer that uh, that church is into on a regular basis. And he said the key there is freedom, freedom from. It's a freedom from what I uh, thought I had to do to a freedom to be who he's made me to be, free to follow and obey the impulses of the Spirit. Uh, that's the key. And I think every one of us that are here tonight have something beating in our hearts 
about the Father's voice that sets me free, free from myself, free from self-consciousness, free from self-preservation, free from worry about what people are going to think about me. And the more free I get, the other way to say that is filled with His Spirit, an overflow of His Spirit, then the more I radiate the glory of the Father in the world that is my world, my jurisdiction. I just want to bless you guys. There's so much more that we would want to say and will say. I hope that something of this has been both beneficial and maybe stirring you to say, oh, we could do something like this uh, in our network, in our circle of friends. And I want to encourage you to do it. I want to bless you, and I want to ask what Paul prayed for every church that he wrote to and prayed for, that you would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Can I pray for you and bless you? And you'll be getting more information about next month's Uh, global sonship forum father we just thank you because you've loved us from the foundation of the world before the foundation of the world in your heart of hearts you knew us you saw us you reveled you rejoiced at what you ordained us to become in your son recipients of your love i thank you father god for the holy spirit who is so faithful tenacious tenacious to cry out our spirits, Abba, Abba Father, Abba Father. You're reformatting our hard drive. You're changing what we know of ourselves and who we know ourselves to be by crying out from the inside of us, using our own heart and our own voice to call this relationship Father and Son. I thank you for it. I pray what I see in the book of Revelations, Holy Spirit, that you will begin to remove any seal of humanism off of our foreheads and inscribe on our mindset, inscribe on our mentality, on our hard drive, inscribe uh, the mindset of the Father and the Son, the love between the Father and the Son, and the love they have for the bride. We thank you that all of our mindset is driven with who you are and what you want to do in this world. I bless every hearer, healing in their bodies, spirit of wisdom and revelation in their hearts, clarity in their minds. And Lord, that even when we sleep tonight, you will train our thoughts in the night season and we'll wake up in the morning with a fresh reality of what you're doing in us. We thank you for it and we bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, We look forward to meeting with you again. Take something you've heard today and share it with somebody else and let it be a blessing to them as well. Have a great evening. God bless you and good night.